Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.com. .fm and certainly glad to have you along if you're listening on one of the 12 Super Talk Mississippi 13. affiliates across the state. 13? Sorry. 13 Super Talk Mississippi stations uh, scattered across the Magnolia State. Good to be with you. Richard Cross. That voice was Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind and you are in North Mississippi, you can find a branch location or grab the phone number on their website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Happy Tuesday, everybody. What's up? Borky, how are you? I'm good, but the, the question is not how I'm doing. It's how you're doing. I'm good. I had a late, late, late night last night. Or but it early, was absolutely I guess, depending on how you look at it. Early morning, uh, if uh, you prefer uh, that. What an unbelievable experience last night at the uh, Mercedes-Benz Superdome. I, I don't want to engage in recency bias here, but I'm pretty sure that that is the loudest sporting event that I have ever been in in my life. Uh, Borky, I talked to you for a minute last night. I was trying to think back. Uh, Ole Miss at LSU 2015, Tiger Stadium. Uh, Ole Miss went in ranked like third or fourth or fifth or sixth in the country or something like that. The night Bo Wallace lost his mind. That's the one. And um, it was crazy loud that night. Like, that was one of the times where Ole Miss got the fans at LSU's best shot. Um, Tuscaloosa that season was really loud. The Swamp that year was really, really loud also. That was one, That was the night game at Florida where Florida beat Ole Miss. Again, Ole Miss ranked highly uh, that season, and it was super loud. But I don't think that I've ever walked away from an event where legitimately an hour and a half, maybe two hours later, my ears were still ringing. Like like I could still hear like white noise in my ears. It was that loud. And it was fairly sustained. You know, the, the Saints had a great start defensively. And, and I will say this. Saints fans in particular, maybe it's NFL fans in general, really educated football fans. When the Saints are on defense, you cannot hear yourself think. When they're on offense, it's not quite you could hear a pin drop, but it's quiet in the dome. And they completely get it, and they respond to the prompts on the video board. They put a decibel meter up on the board. 
And that thing was hovering between 112 and about 118 on every big play throughout the game. And then the later it got and the more intense that it got, it was just insane and really, really a cool event last night. I'm jealous. That's all I can really say. Especially how the game shook out, too. It'd be different if you were there and it was just kind of a regular old football game, but we may look back 17 weeks from now and think that was the game of the regular season. It may very well be, and you know, you know, quick takeaway here. And, and hey, Dad, I know you watched. You texted me a couple of times during and after the game as well. The Saints have got some work to do on the defensive side. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Now, with that said, Deshaun Watson is really, really good. And so is DeAndre Hopkins. And they just need to get out of the zone. I, I told you this last night. It, it was killing all momentum that they had. And they would shade Marshawn Lattimore wherever DeAndre Hopkins was on the field, and then they would run his own. So if you're moving your best corner to be on their best receiver, but then you'll sit him back, and they were in cover four sometimes on like third and eight. And you would sit him back in this zone and not let him cover their best receiver. What are you doing? Hey, what's the point of even shading him at that point? I'm not sure mind. it matters how you cover him. Probably not. I think DeAndre Hopkins is that good. I don't... You know, you but can allowing decide... him to sit inside of a zone uncovered is not a great idea. Either. No, no, that's not a good plan. That, that's not a good plan. Um, what, one Saints observation, offensively, and this is going to sound like, well, I don't, I don't care what it sounds like. This is just what I thought walking away. And and Borky, I told you this last night. Drew Brees is still really, really good. And he may be, even today, the most accurate passer in the game. The, the ability that he has to lead receivers and throw into tight windows, especially given the fact that he's barely six feet tall, is remarkable. I don't think Drew Brees has got much of a fastball anymore. And he's never had the strongest arm in the league, but father time, I think, has caught up. It, it's, it's almost like, at this point, Drew Brees is so good... Pre-snap, he's so accurate and he's so ahead of whoever he's playing mentally that he's able to mask the lack of arm strength. And and you guys tell me if I'm off base on this and you think it's always been that way. I don't feel like it's always been quite that way, but the accuracy and the cerebral part of it, I think at this point still outweigh what may be a little loss of velocity. No, Because the NFL is full of big-arm quarterbacks. Yeah, and he's not one. He never was one, but he's especially not one now. And, and that's what makes Alvin Kamara, and then you'll see him more later on, but Jared Cook so important to that offense. Because he can throw underneath stuff uh, to those kind of guys to keep a defense honest. Because And you saw it at the end of last year especially, but you're right. He doesn't have that fastball anymore. Uh, the deep passing game, while it still can be there, I mean, you had what you thought was a, a game-sealing completion to Ted Ginn. But that was mm -hmm. only a 40-yard pass in reception, and that kind of felt like that was all he had. Yeah. Th there's only one throw that he made last night that surprised me, and it was the early interception. So I was sitting in the end zone in the opposite corner from where that play happened. And... 
the angle that I had as that play was unfolding was pretty good, and it was like I was going back and forth between watching it on the field, cutting my eyes to the video board, and as it unfolded, the receiver broke. When when Breeze got to the outside, I said, oh, he's open, that's a touchdown, because I thought he was going to put some air on it and just kind of float it into the middle of the end zone and let the receiver run right under it. Well, when he tried to zip it in, the, the DB or linebacker, whoever it was, cut underneath, got the interception, and kept the Saints from getting on the board early. Um. So, you know, I, I don't know. And, and and going back to where I started, when I said the Saints have got some issues on defense, I think the issues they've got are more in the secondary because they had a pretty good pass, pass rush. Now, that's not a great offensive line for Houston, and it's a new offensive line, especially on the left side uh, with Houston as well. I think they will get better. That was two good football teams last night. And, yeah, yeah, it was. And, and the whole six- game was played at a high level. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, it's going to get lost, and understandably so, but Deshaun Watson was excellent when it mattered most last night. Absolutely. I mean, orchestrating that game-winning – well, it was just two throws. Two but still, plays! <laughs> that game-winning drive, how accurate that first pass was. The second, that's an easy touchdown. But that first pass to get him in that position, like, he had a window of a basketball hoop to throw it in. If he doesn't throw it in that window, it's incomplete. Hey, Dad, what was your range of emotions at the end of the game? I'm not. This is going to surprise y'all, but it, it's week one. So, I, I mean, I was re- excited when the Saints won. I was disappointed when that uh, when the touchdown pass came to, to give the Texans the lead. But at the same time, I was just thinking, this team lost week one a season ago and went to the NFC Championship game. So I really wasn't too high or too low on that. But that said, when they won, there was definitely a a you know, oh God, I hope I didn't wake the kids up. Woo, kind of thing <laughs> happened. What about you, Borky? Were uh, you riding the roller coaster of emotions? Man, I ran through the house. It, it, did you break anything when they scored? Did not break anything. I just leaned back and kind of like slouched in my uh, in my couch because my wife was sitting next to me, you know, and she doesn't really like when I get angry over sports. So I had to contain that and, and just keep that internal. But after the kick was made, I kind of ran around the house a little bit. I think that game, even though it's just one game in a 16-game season, and for the last five years they are – one and nine or were one and nine in the first two weeks of the season so they've had good years deep playoff runs without starting strong but knowing that they have to go to LA and Seattle for the next two weeks and then host and then Dallas, come home to play Dallas yeah so they needed to win that game last night or else they could have been way behind to start the season compared to everybody else yeah I don't think there's any question about that but that was a uh, it was that was a pretty special experience uh, quick trip to New Orleans, but ate well and great football game and a heck of a lot of fun. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Uh, Darren and Jackson, I was at game six of the 2011 World Series in St. Louis when David Freeze hit the triple to go ahead. I thought I was going to go deaf. It was so loud. That was a, an incredible one. Tim and Carnt says reactions to botched officiating. I have I one. Uh, let's circle back to that in just a second. We'll, we'll circle back to that when we uh, when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Just getting started on this Tuesday afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. The 30-28 to 28 was the final last night. New Orleans kicking a 58-yard field goal as time expired. Third longest field goal in Saints history to get the come-from-behind win against the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson was 20 of 30 
for 268 yards and three touchdowns. Drew Brees, 32 of 43 for 370 and a couple of touchdowns. Kamara had 97 yards on 13 carries. Latavius Murray had a touchdown run, six carries, 43 yards. Taysom Hill had a big touchdown reception in the ballgame. The other was Traquan Smith. Michael Thomas, 10 catches for 123 yards last night to lead New Orleans. Their big signee at wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, eight catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns. Kenny Stills, the recently acquired from the Miami Dolphins in the trade that included Laramie Tunsil, had a touchdown catch. That was the uh, the go-ahead touchdown catch late for the uh, the Houston Texans. Um, so those were some of the numbers. Let's see. Only one time was Drew Brees sacked in the ballgame. Saints got to uh, got to Deshaun Watson six times, and for an offense uh, offensive line that gave up, I think it was sixty two sacks last year. That's not the start they were looking for up front. I think that offensive line is going to get better as the season goes along, but it certainly wasn't the start that the Texans were looking for. So on the ceasefire text line, right before we went to uh, break, we got. Um, uh, got the question from Tim in Corinth, reactions to botched officiating. I'll let you guys re- react on this front. The, the only thing that really stood out to me was the misappropriation of the 10-second runoff at the end of the half. As I understood it, you know, there were 26 seconds on the clock. They initially said, I'm trying to remember exactly how it unfolded, what initially said it was short of a first down, Saints rushed to the line, Drew Brees was going to snap it, go quarterback sneak and get the first down, but they blew it dead before he could snap it and went to a review and ultimately gave the first down. But because they had stopped the clock at 26 seconds, they uh, they put a 10-second runoff on in place and the Saints elected not to use a timeout there. As I understand it, based on what I was reading last night, what they should have done was put time back on the clock to where the previous play ended and then put the 10-second runoff. Now, you're only talking about, what, two, three, maybe four seconds, but in that type of a situation, and what we saw at the end of the game, obviously a few seconds can make all the difference in the world uh, for an offense like that, especially with a veteran quarterback. So... I know there were fans that were furious at times with the officiating. Nothing as egregious as what we saw in the NFC Championship game a year ago. And I feel like in some ways, because Borky, there must have been there must have been a thousand Saints fans there that were wearing referee jerseys they last showed night. Them on TV. I find that so funny. It was all over the place. It was in town. It was, you know, throughout the day, walking into the Dome, you saw it all over the place. So, to a certain degree, I think Saints fans were looking for a reason to be triggered with regard to the officiating. That doesn't sound on brand. Um, I didn't think it was just egregious. I didn't think there was anything that was just absolutely egregious. What did you guys think? Yeah, in that situation, so they ended up with 16 seconds on the clock after the runoff, and the explanation was they should have been given 31. And like you said, with that offense, you think with that offense, so thir- 31 down to 21. No, so the, the Mike Thomas went down at 41 seconds, and that the explanation after the game was that's where they should have done the 10 second runoff from. Okay, 
yeah, was from yeah. 41 to 31 instead of 26 to 16. And that probably would have given them a chance to have a closer field goal. And Will Lutz, as you learned last night, is really good. And even though he missed from 57, uh, anything inside of that, he's pretty automatic. So that could have changed the complexion of the game. It didn't. Drew Brees said after the game that uh, it's a game changer and that shouldn't happen. But, and this is what I like, because at the end of the day, even though they got that wrong, it, they're still humans. And the game was well officiated, I think, last night. At least most NFL games are. But they did screw that one up. They immediately, one, went to Sean Payton and Drew Brees personally and said, this is why we got it wrong and it was wrong. And then with this new thing, they got to send a pool reporter, and it happened to be a Larry Holder from The Athletic, to ask the official straight up what happened there. And the ref out loud in a press conference said, it should have been this. We screwed it up. We got it wrong, and we will fix it. Like that—that's nice. That transparency that they didn't have after the NFC Championship game was at least there after this one. And it's human error. It's a weird rule to begin with, and it shouldn't happen. But it happens sometimes, and you know we can all move on, especially because the right team won the game anyway. Oh, oh, they're going to fix it, huh? It's going to get fixed. There won't be any more of that. Okay, I'm going to hold my breath. That's what I'm going to do right now. They blew it again. Imagine that. They blew it again. They will always blow it. Bring on the robots. It will never be good. And I'll give you another call that they messed up. And I don't know how to get around it, but what did they want? Was it it Hopkins who who basically German suplexed? Uh, Marcus Williams. What, what do they want yeah, him to do? Yeah, but that's not an officiating error. That's just them enforcing a bad rule. So you can't well, crap on them I, for that. That doesn't oh, make I'm any cra- sense. I'm, crap, I'm crapping all the way down from the top to the bottom. They all get it. They all have to take a bite. It's just all bad. But they're, that's the letter of the rule. You're crapping on them for enforcing a rule? I'm crapping on, I'm, I'm crapping on the people who are in charge of NFL officials. Because not only do the they The people send, in charge of NFL officials don't make the rules. Who that doesn't make any I mean, sense whatsoever. The competition makes committee makes the no rules, sense. and it's made up of head coaches a, and executives and whatever rule. else. That's their rule. So we have well, okay. poor rules associated by poor uh, officials. Where Where is it in? How is it the officials' fault for enforcing a rule? That makes absolutely I just no said, sense. I just said, the, if the, the rules are poor and the referees are poor, where are we going? What are we doing? It's just every It's every game. Yeah, you and I are just going to have to agree to disagree on the officials sense. being poor. I, I mean, I I think they're the best on the planet. I mean, they, they just are. Now, if you think we need to go to another planet to get referees to call the NFL games, so and be it. We'll, we'll see if that works. But in terms of their preparation and what they do to get ready for games, and I mean, yes, there is going to be a human element, and there's no question that was a mistake at the end of the first half, and it's a mistake that shouldn't happen. But if you just want to say, oh, they're terrible, that's painting with too big of a brush because they're just not. And then you had you had the, the minor league baseball team go to robotic umpires and you still had managers getting tossed for arguing balls and strikes. Like, what do you want? I don't know what I want. I just know I want the problem solved. That's what I want. So, no, 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 that is what you just want to complain no, I, I would if the, they would solve the problem, I'd quit complaining. I don't understand. There's no problem. They enforced a rule. They also botched a call. We just talked about it. 
They screwed There's, up again. If, again, if your they thing is if they, if, if your thing is they, there should be a single missed a, call. It's, it's it's not an attainable goal. That's just unrealistic. That doesn't make any sense. There are billions of dollars on the line with these people, and they can't get it right. I mean, how do you? There not is literally the not going to be a single game ever where there's not one missed call. There's a difference between a missed call and you bought what happened on where you got to go out there and explain what happened. And in the explanation, you don't go in your mind. No, wait, this is not correct. What is the difference? It's a missed call. That's exactly can, what it is by the very I can, definition. I can live with, hey, he held me on this play and I didn't see it. I can live with that. But if you got to stand there in front of sixty-five thousand people and explain a call and you're explaining it wrong. They that's, explain that's the not, holding for just 65,000 people. So you're okay with one missed call but not another. I'm that a, doesn't make any not, sense at all. All right, I'm just going to stop because you just keep repeating it doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense to me. So I, I don't know what else I can tell you. <laughs> well, as long as it makes perfect sense to you, then I guess then we, I'm can, happy. Uh, exactly. we, we can move on. Um, question from John and Hurley. wonder how many last play game-winning kicks are longer than last night's. Tom Dempsey, for one. I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think you've answered your own question, John. That was the third longest field goal in Saints history. Uh, Dempsey had the uh, Tom Dempsey had the 63-yarder. Morton Anderson, I think, had a 60-yarder. And then the one uh, last night from uh, Lutz was, what, 58? To win it third longest in, uh, in Saints history. You came back and said that's the longest game-winning field goal that was... A walk-off field goal, if you will, would have been good um, from sixty-five if he'd have been that far back. I mean, it, off of his foot, it was it well struck like a rocket. We have a get this clown off the radio. I think that was in reference to Hey Dad. There's a yes, Hey Dad, with the wrestling reference. Hashtag free Hey Dad. Uh, Marty in Oxford says Starkdale always has great officials. That's for Hey Dad. Starkdale is that what he said? Yeah, I didn't know if that was a reference that I was supposed to get but i don't probably not um if you're running time off the clock at the first of the game or not running time off the clock at the first of the game how can you run time off the clock at the end of the game or half that that's a bad rule uh should new orleans acquire chad kelly from indianapolis to replace breeze when he retires thanks bob and put it out um i don't know sports talk mississippi in the renaissance bank studio Hey, about um, 9.30, 9.45 this morning, it was 10 o'clock, I uh, saw a robot on the square in Oxford. Not like uh, Back to the Future stuff or space uh, science fiction type stuff, like a real robot. I'll tell you a little bit more about that coming up. It just was, was fascinating to me. But first, on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com. And go with the home team, Luke Johnson. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. It's also available via podcast and streaming online at supertalk.fm. Hey, Luke. Hey, guys. How's your Tuesday? Good, man. Really good. Um, Let's rewind to Saturday. And you kind of give me your impressions of Mississippi State Southern Miss takeaways that you had and we'll go from there oh well obviously not a good day for the eagles captain obvious here reporting that but um i felt like going into this game we talked friday i felt like the defense would play good i was questioned about the offense and it was complete reverse um 
the offense moved the ball well. Uh, you look at their first three drives, they get inside the Mississippi State 30, get inside the 21 time, uh, and you come away with zero points. Uh, one of the things we said was that when the Eagles had opportunities to score, they were going to have to score. They'd be playing catch-up, and uh, that's what happened. They spotted Mississippi State 14 points, then gave them really good field position, not a very good punting uh, performance in the first half, and uh, gave up a, a blindside sack that led to a fumble, big drop on the first drive, a missed field goal on the second drive. And uh, you, you just can't spot an SEC team uh, one touchdown, uh, much less you know three. So that's what they did. Um, second half was a little better, obviously. Stevens was out of the game. Uh, but the obvious, uh, you know, just dominating performance was the Mississippi State offensive line. Uh, Southern Miss unable to get any pressure at all on Tommy Stevens. The only time they got pressure was when they brought cornerbacks and then of course uh, I told you guys Friday where I was concerned um, was the secondary I was concerned that when you had to bring that much pressure uh, you know you kind of leave corners on an island and state dropped the touchdown and you know it was just it, it got it was just ugly I, I was uh, I really didn't know what to think just head scratching from the defense but the guys stayed in there and, and they fought and uh, you know 31-15 you get the, the ball back and you throw a pick could have got interesting had they scored on that one um, overall, um, it was a good, it was a, uh, you know, a measuring stick of where you, where you land and, and a good dose of reality. Uh, I think this coming Saturday will be even a better dose of, uh, reality of where your football team is at this point in the season. Well, and, and we've talked about the fact that the, the opening stretch of games was really a difficult stretch with three straight road games after the home opener against Alcorn State. Two of those against SEC teams and a trip to Troy that is by no means a gimme. Uh, I think Troy is an early two point favorite in that ball game. So, you know, if it was on a neutral field, basically uh, an even football game. Feels like this Saturday is pretty important for Southern Miss. Um, yeah, it's just how will they respond? How will they bounce back? Um, just one more thing from, from Saturday. You looked at what Southern Miss did on the ground. I mean, four four yards of a carry. Uh, the Michael Harris, you know, wide receiver was in the backfield, and uh, Kevin Perkins did a nice job. And you know, they found ways to, to move the football. They just couldn't cash in. Uh, one more takeaway from Saturday: if you guys weren't able to catch the game, Jalen Adams is a stud. Um, you know, you you looked at who was going to you know take up in the secondary. I mean, in the in the wide receiver core with Quez Watkins out. Uh, Mitchell had a phenomenal game, and Jalen Adams is a legit football player. I mean, he he just really performed. They're about to translate that into Saturday. A lot of a lot of storylines here. Chip Lindsey, of course, was the uh, OC for Southern Miss under Todd Munkin. Uh, Cole Weeks was a former Southern Miss quarterback. He's the tight ends coach for Troy, and Troy's been a team that's won I think 31 games in the last uh, in the last three years. Um, Eagles, this is. For me, if you want an eight-win season, you have to win Saturday. And more importantly, um, if you want some some people at home on the 28th, you win Saturday. I mean, it, this is a measuring stick because it's a it's a group of five team. Um, you feel like uh, you you should match up with them pretty well. You feel like uh, you should win, um, but it's it's just going to be how do they play? Are they going to be able to cash in on scoring opportunities unlike they were able to do this past Saturday? Quez Watkins return on Saturday? Yeah, he'll be there. Should be ready to go. 
And then any timeline right now for, for Travinsky, Mosley, and his return? They just, uh, the coaching staff doesn't talk injuries, and we don't expect, you know, you speculate. Um, I think six weeks may be a, a generous minimum. That could be dead wrong. We just, you know, we don't have any really information on that. Uh, so Perkins will probably be the lead back. Uh, Darius Mayberry, the guy that you and I talked about some, Richard, he got some carries. Uh, I just think they're just going to try to get the ball in the hands of fast, athletic people, and that's why you saw uh, really the Michael Harris uh, in the backfield a little more on this past Saturday. What did you think of Jack Abraham's play? When he had time, he was really good. <laughs> you know, he, uh, the past dimension. <laughs> it's funny how that works, right? Out. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. But, I mean, even – even when he didn't have time, um, I thought he was efficient. I mean, 18 of 26, two interceptions, you know, that were late. He forward, one throw was just bad. He was trying to make a play. Uh, one was on the last, you know, drive of the game. But he made some really nice throws. The, the touchdown throw to Adams, of course, Jalen made a tremendous catch. He made a really nice throw uh, on a flag route to, um, to Mitchell. So, yeah, I mean, I thought Jack just did pretty pretty well. I mean, he just was kind of Mr. Efficiency like, like he normally is. Do you get the feeling, Luke, that Southern Miss fans were resigned to that outcome, disappointed by the outcome, sobered by the outcome on Saturday, encouraged? What's kind of the the, the overwhelming feeling among fans post-loss on Saturday in Starkville? Well, I mean, it's a mixed bag. Um, you just you feel like if you would have scored – twice in your opening three positions, even if it's a field goal. Even if Stein makes a field goal, you get two field goals out. It's 14 to 6. But you, you spot them two touchdowns, and you just cannot win when it's like that. So I think there was some frustration. I think your positive takeaway is, is that they did, they did you know fight back. Um, I guess in some ways, uh, the glaring reality check for Southern Miss fans was you, you feel good about your defense going into the season, and they were just overwhelmed uh, by a huge offensive line. I, I think that's where the, the disappointment comes. You feel like the strength of your team was the defense, and they were overwhelmed, all, you know, physically on on Saturday. Uh, I do think, um, you know, from the playmakers that we've talked about, you feel better going into Conference USA. Southern Miss fans have to realize uh, that where the program is now, your your job isn't to maybe when you did in the '90s and when I played to go knock off uh, big boys. Your, your job is to win Conference USA, and I think that's where you have to admit the state of the program is right now. Yeah, and and that's that's hard to swallow. Um, and I'm not being flippant when I say that, because if, if you're a longtime Southern Miss fan, you, you remember the days of getting a win against Nebraska and wins against Alabama and Mississippi State and Ole Miss and, and others, but we're just in a different era of football than we were even 15 years ago. Bob and I were discussing that, you know, yesterday, and it's you know you could have a three-hour show about how the how the college football got to that place. Oh, um, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but yeah, I mean it, it is difficult. And what I, I'll go back to, it, it is pretty amazing over the years. Uh, I won a conference USA championship with Southern Miss in 2003. And nine of the, or ten of the starting 11 guys on our roster went to the NFL. On my punt team, I had eight guys blocked for me to end up in the NFL. 
and we had like the second lowest athletic budget in all of NCAA. So, you know, you look at what Southern Miss has achieved historically over the years with not even a tenth, maybe a twentieth of what everybody else had, particularly the two other SEC schools in the state. But, yeah, it's just kind of uncharted territory, and that's why, you know, you bring in guys like Jeremy McClain and other guys that, you know, need to be Mavericks, and and uh, hopefully, you know, you can at least uh, win, win your, your, uh, your conference. Uh, it's just kind of the state of the way it is right now. And if you can win the conference, you go to a bowl game, and uh, you certainly got stuff to celebrate at the uh, the end of the season. So that's um, and you is, get to play Alabama at eleven a.m. on ESPN in two weeks too. Yeah, Nick Saban's <laughs> excited about that. Uh, I'm excited about the first quarter of that. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get into Nick Saban and uh, his. Uh, thinking that Alabama is not being treated fairly by the uh, the SEC a little bit later this afternoon. I know there are tons, hundreds, thousands of people who are lining up to uh, feel sorry for Nick Saban and the plight of Alabama football. Thanks, Luke. I'm not. All right, guys. You have a great Tuesday. <laughs> you as well. It's Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour, Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel, online at supertalk.fm, and available as a podcast more coming up with you robots potentially coming to the Ole Miss campus tell you more when we come back Renaissance Bank Studio back to the new sports talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm you may not think this is cool as I did but I had an encounter with a robot this morning so we were we had gone to breakfast picked up some breakfast ran by chain store for a little while and looked out the window. You didn't spend the night? No, came back last night. After the game. More thoughts? No, I was just wondering. It was a late night. My uh, buddy that I went with had an early flight this morning, so had to get back. Anyway. Um, so I'm looking out, and there is something rolling along the sidewalk that's not being pushed at all. And I kind of popped out of the front door of Jane's store and said, hey, guys, I don't know, 50 feet down the side. He, he looks at it and goes, what's that? Borky, it looked like a cooler with wheels that was rolling along on itself. And the guy goes, it's a robot. I said, Really? He said, do you want to see it? I said, well, yeah. He's like, I got a few minutes till my next meeting. And so he turns it around without touching it and drives it back. And so it looks like a small cooler on wheels with an antenna sticking up off the back. If you want to look at what I'm actually talking about, the it, it's called a Starship. And the website is starship.xyz. I didn't know that was a like a web domain, but that's what it is, starship.xyz. You can see what I'm talking about. So they are trying to revolutionize food delivery on college campuses. And so the idea behind it, and the company was founded by some of the co-founders of Skype, who apparently when they sold it to Microsoft got like $3 billion and wanted to start another company. So they're in the technology world. And they launched the company in 2014. And so they're trying to partner with food service entities on college campuses and then integrate with student meal service plans. 
so that, Borky, if you are sitting outside the business school and you want some lunch, you're going to be there for a while. It's just a nice day. You want to sit out on the bench and you want to order lunch while you're sitting out there studying. I, I know you didn't necessarily do that, but work with me here. <laughs> you can uh, you can open up the app, order the food from the menu. They drop the food in this deal and send it out on its way. And you just drop a pin for exactly where you are location-wise, and it comes to you just like an Uber would if you ordered up an Uber or a Lyft for a, a ride. I thought it was so cool. They're already at Purdue. Uh, they're at George Mason. So they're on three or four college campuses. But they rolled about 30 of these guys out at Purdue uh, back in August. And you have people that are, I mean, you know, you're walking along the sidewalk and there's a robot walking beside you. So they initially have to go in and, like, train, basically do a mapping deal where they map out all the roads and sidewalks and whatever. The six wheels on there, two of the wheels are, like, will go up and down so that it can drive over, over a curb or can navigate its way if it's like in a northern campus climate, snow, ice, no big deal, can handle it. It's like six-wheel drive. Does this do anything for you? Does, it, does this even remotely sound cool? Yeah, I love this kind of stuff. I'm Even though I'm not very smart and I don't understand half of it, I'm such a science and technology nerd sometimes with stuff like this. I mean, how cool is that? It, what's going to be funny is when some idiot tries to steal one for the first time, not realizing that they have tracking devices on it and they can just go right and find him. Like some stoner who was just really hungry and saw a cooler full of food driving in front of him, so he takes it. Police show up to his little dojo a few hours later, kicking down the door, and it's got like a camera and stuff on it so you can see the entire thing. Yeah, that's going to be funny. He, he said that they realize that they're going to be fraternity pranks and somebody picks one of those things up and steals them and whatever. But it's got 10 cameras on board so that it can see where it's going and can also video anything, video anything else. And if somebody tries to pick it up or to answer Richard's question, Richard and Wiggins says, can we sit on it and hitch a ride? Nope, you can't. The top on it locks while it's got whatever its contents are, food in this case on the inside. And if you try to pick it up or you try to sit down on it, it will talk to you. Please remove yourself from the starship or law enforcement will be called or notified or whatever. So it's it needs like a, a giant taser. System. Giant taser. You sit on it, boom, 1,000 volts. Let's go. I don't really understand robots. I'm probably going to steer clear of them. Ed and Brookhaven says R2-D2. Eh, smaller version of R2-D2. Not nearly as tall. That's how I picture all of them, like destroying everything in their path pooping lug nuts like i don't really understand the inner workings of robots so somebody on the ceasefire text line says i can see somebody's steak and cheese getting heisted well the the lid locks on the thing and you got the app so once it gets to you i guess your phone connects with it and it unlocks the lid and you can get your food out i don't know i thought it was pretty cool you're not alone that's awesome i would do that if it was in starville um let's see Mike in Oxford says Dodo Pizza uses flying drones to deliver in Russia. Okay. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. One hour in the books. Renaissance Bank Studio on this Tuesday.
Mississippi with you Tuesday afternoon, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Rippy stepped away for a bit to go to Ole Miss football practice while they have a little bit of availability, so he uh, joins our, will rejoin us in a little while. A couple of um, messages on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. One of our friends in California said they're getting their groceries delivered by robots, and I can't wait until the first drunk idiot shoots one for fun. Well, I mean, if you shoot a robot for fun that's operating on a college campus or in, like, a downtown area, you got a bigger issue. I mean, I'm just using, for example, where I live. It's not like they're grabbing a pizza, a Fat Larry from Proud Larry's to go and delivering it to Taylor or to Water Valley. So I would think if you got out in the country... You know, out a little bit. Maybe you would have an issue. If somebody decides to shoot a robot that's rolling down the sidewalk with food in the middle of campus, I think we've probably got more serious issues than just the fact that somebody shot a robot. Yeah, that'll come when Amazon starts doing the drone deliveries nationwide instead of using whatever delivery service, FedEx, UPS, whatever. That's when somebody's going to shoot one because they're going to order something or their kid's going to order something and some robot's going to be flying in front of their front door, then it'll get shot. Hey, Dad, we know lots of people that duck hunt, right? I do, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what, if, you're, what if you're at the duck hole and you've got an Amazon delivery scheduled to the camp or the camp house? Could be a problem. And it's an early morning, morning delivery. It's like, incoming! Kapow! That's probably an expensive shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's probably, they're probably going to have some limitations on we're delivering this to a hunting camp. Okay. No, they're probably not going to do that one. Yeah. Home delivery only. Sports talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. If you go to that website, you can find the branch locations for Mississippi Land Bank. Why would you call them? Well, uh, maybe because you've got financing or refinancing needs, whether it's for real estate loans or timberland or improvement loans for your land, equipment, operations, livestock, irrigation, want to build a home in the country. Uh, Mississippi Land Bank, if you are in North Mississippi, can help with all of these things. Check them out online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Alabama is upset. A joint statement from Athletics Director Greg Byrne and University President, uh, is it Carol Ball? I think Carol is her first name. Here, here's the statement. We are disappointed that our home game against Southern Miss has been selected as a daytime kickoff at home. We realize we've played more non-conference day games at home in September than any other SEC team since 2014. There have been a number of conversations with our conference office, and they also recognize the challenges these kick times present for our student-athletes and fans. 
Hmm. Oh, poor Alabama. Tell you what. Let's do a blind swap, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll do a blind swap. Hey, Dad, you want to be part of this? Sure. You, you, you can represent Mississippi State. I will represent Ole Miss. Borky, pick another school in the SEC that you would like to represent. Vanderbilt. You can represent Vanderbilt. Anchor down, baby. He's not smart enough to Van- Vanderbilt. No. No, he is in, in this case. Well, okay. they told me via letter that I wasn't smart enough for Vanderbilt, so <laughs> I'm okay with that. But for the our purposes right now, you will be just fine. You are <laughs> nothing but a placeholder. Hey, Dad, Borky, and I, all, in the spirit of sacrificial giving, will give Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or Vanderbilt's television schedules to the University of Alabama. We will swap. No questions asked. You, you, you want to make that swap, Greg Byrne? Because I'm fairly confident that neither Ole Miss, nor Mississippi State, nor Alabama will appear on CBS either four or five times. I'm fairly confident that they won't be on primetime in ESPN an additional three to four times. So if you want to swap, I think there are three schools that would be more than happy to swap your television slate for theirs. I mean, because we all want to be giving, right? <laughs> one, one interesting thing, and this was tweeted out by Cecil Hurt from the Tuscaloosa News, and, and this is where I think Alabama is is getting upset, that Alabama, since 2014, has had 12 non-conference September home games, and only one of them has ever been at night. LSU has had 12 non-conference September home games. All 12 have been at night. And his point was, I get that their tradition is to play at night, but this is going beyond that. LSU is getting to play at night every one of these games, and nobody else is. Why is that? I think because the conference recognizes that they'd rather play at night. And they, is it the nobody, conference? Is, is well, it I mean, the, the conference? TV or, the TV or whoever. I mean, or is it television saying, you know what? Given the opportunity, we want LSU in Baton Rouge at night. It's kind of a good scene that a lot of people want to see. But at the same time, it's it's not like the conference. It's not like Greg Sankey couldn't say, look, we're it's. It's every time that they're going to be at night. We 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 need to to told that we got to even this out just a touch. Greg Byrne did follow up um, with Alabama fans through his Twitter feed. Thanks for the feedback today regarding kick times. A few comments. One, our TV partners who we appreciate control kickoff times via contractual obligations. He really could have stopped right there. That was enough. SEC Office works in conjunction with its TV partners, CBS and ESPN. But that's part of the reason that CBS and ESPN, ESPN way more than CBS, pay the money that they pay so that they can make the decisions about when games are on television and what channels they are on. And I don't know if you've noticed, but they write a a pretty big check to all 14 SEC schools every year because of that. 
The other parts of his tweet are we'll have water stations and sunscreen stations throughout the stadium. Please wear a hat and sunglasses. I'm aware of our high number of day games. I will share opinions and advocate Alabama athletics interest where I can, but rarely publicly. Thank you to all of our fans for their incredible support and roll tide. That was a week ago. And so it was as if he was saying, we've had enough. We're not going to take it anymore. That kind of stuff blows my mind, though. Like having the extra water stations and stuff, that's all a good idea. It's a nice thing to do. Making your fans more comfortable at these hot games are going to keep them there because attendance is an issue across all of sports. So I get that. But the wear sunglasses and a hat thing, like how brain dead do you think your fans are? Hey, we know how to protect ourselves in the heat. Don't tell me to wear sunglasses. Oh, oh my gosh, thank you, Greg Byrne. I didn't realize I could protect my eyes with these things that I can put over them. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, you shouldn't touch a hot oven. You shouldn't drink bleach. But those things are, those warning labels are on there. It's just, my goodness. It's crazy. And they want their people to show up, and I'm sure they've gotten complaints from big boosters and stuff. But we've been playing day games in the Southeastern Conference since its genesis. Suck it up. Get over it. This is what everybody else in your league has to do in October and November. I know it's a little bit hot right now, but welcome to everybody else in the SEC. Glad you're one of us now. Do you know how many home night games Ole Miss played last year? Zero, right? Not one. Not one. Well, the Egg Bowl, right? I guess technically that ended at night. Well, that was a Thursday night game. I guess that, okay. Fair, there you go. There's so your the Egg one. Bowl was a night game at home. And there by default. <sighs> Hearing them cry I, I about do, things is so funny. I do get the, the argument against LSU. Be like, hold on a second. Why do they play all of theirs at night and we get none of them at night? That's, that's fair. I just don't think anybody wants to hear Alabama complain about the treatment that they get from television. It's just not interested in hearing that at all. Hope Sankey laughed at him. Not not at all. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi will continue the uh, college football theme for a little while longer. So um, nobody's feeling sorry for Alabama, or at least most are not feeling sorry for Alabama. I'm sure there are Alabama fans who have been, uh, you know, feel like they're being picked on by the uh, by the conference and by ESPN. I'm not a particularly violent guy, but I had a desire to punch a good friend of mine in the face once. Uh, I was visiting Tuscaloosa when we were in college, and I had to drag him to go to the game because he looked at me and said, Look, man, going to football games isn't fun for us anymore. We always win. It's not exciting. Hmm. I mean, good friend of mine, I had to like stop myself from just smacking him across the face. Like, think about what you just said out loud, you arrogant jerk. <laughs> was the Ole Miss Alabama game at night last year in Oxford? I thought that was yeah. a day game. The sun was still out, but it started at 6. Same time as Mississippi State, uh, Florida. Um, I did not remember that. So, there you go. 
I guess I was wrong about Ole Miss not playing any. I guess it's non-conference is what we're talking about. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the qualifier. Should, should that here. just be a thing where the, the conference office comes out before the season and says, look, everybody's going to get at least one non-conference game at home that night? There's got to be a way to do it. Yeah, you would think so. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, the only logical swap would have been to to swap Alabama and Arkansas, right? You put Arkansas, San Jose State at eleven in the morning, and put Alabama against Southern Miss at six thirty on the SEC network because it's a non-conference game. It can go head to head with the Notre Dame Georgia game, right? That might make more programming sense, except for the fact that ESPN doesn't want to put Alabama on the SEC network. They want to put them on either ESPN or ESPN2 because they'll get more eyeballs that way. Right. And there wasn't an opportunity to put them on ESPN or ESPN2 at night, I suppose. Anyway. So it would have to be something that came from, like an, an edict from the conference office, this is how we're doing this going forward. Yeah. But again... As it stands right now, the conference office doesn't have the ability yeah. or the authority to do that. They've right. got a negotiated contract with ESPN <laughs> that allows ESPN to pick two slot game times and CBS. So I, I don't think it, it's as simple as the SEC just saying, hey, we want to do this. And, and, and here's the reason. I mean, hey, Dad, could, could they get that done? Yeah, probably so. But... Everything between the SEC and ESPN is a negotiation. And so if you have to give something here in order to get what you want, you know, if ESPN yeah. has to give a little bit of there, that means a favor is not the right word, but they're going to be able to get something somewhere else that the SEC may or may not want to give. So it's a fascinating relationship. I've been able to kind of see some of the kind of the inner workings of that, and nobody wants to expend their capital if they don't have to, right? Right. So, so if I've just got a little trivial thing that I need done, yeah, do I want to do I want to go to bat for a person or a thing on this, or do I want to save that ask that favor for something that's more important? And my guess is the SEC doesn't really view this as that important. What, Whatever. Let Alabama cry. Deal with it. When does that CBS contract end? I think it's got four or five years left. Is it 20... Is it 23? It sounds That's right. I'm have to go back and look for, for sure. If you had to guess right now, who gets that? that time slot, that contract. Because if you think the SEC payout is huge right now, I don't know how much bigger that contract will be. I can promise it won't be $50 million a year. Probably What is it? It's about $55 million right now? Mm-hmm. Probably 10 times that, whether Fox or ESPN or maybe by then some streaming service buys it. The value of that game is greater than... Well, maybe not greater. That's getting ahead of myself. But it's basically on par with the Monday Night Football deal at ESPN. And that's a billion-dollar-a-year deal. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is because the numbers don't back it up. What did you, what did you tell me the, the ratings were for Monday Night Football last night? Massive? Uh, Yeah, thir- 
18 million people watched uh, Saints, Texans, and the highest football game, college football game so far this year has been 8 million, and that was LSU, Texas. Okay, so... But you do get the conference championship game, which is a, a big, fat number. Sure. But it's only a one-off. So, I mean, yeah, it's certainly not going for $55 million again. I don't know if the number's $250 million or $350 million or $500 million. Um, I think Fox is going to make a run at it. I, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know what CBS thinks. Because they're extremely ratings-driven. And... CBS says it has had this great value for such a long time. Are they willing to let go? Or do they see enough value there that they're going to hold on to that? I mean, my, my guess is that the SEC and the athletics directors desperately want Fox to enter the fray because you know ESPN wants it. I mean, it's it's a marquee piece of inventory, and so if you have two or three suitors, it's only going to drive the price up. I mean, the the concern for the SEC would be if Fox had no interest in it, and ESPN was just kind of like, "Man, we got a lot of football inventory. We don't really need that." In which case, they would just be negotiating against CBS with no real other place to go. But if CBS wants to keep it, and Fox really wants it, and ESPN really wants it, that's the spot where you want to be. And it'll be, it will be the next significant revenue jump in this 45 million or so dollars that schools get every year right now. I mean, if it goes to an, let's say it goes to 250 million. So that's an additional 200 million, right? Right. So two hundred million divided by fifteen, because you get fourteen schools, and the SEC keeps a share. Divided by fifteen, that's an additional thirteen million. Whew, I mean, that builds a practice facility in one year. I mean, that is a massive change, and that's if it only goes to two hundred fifty million. Yeah. But if it goes like to $350 billion, I feel like you're lowballing at 250 to be totally honest with you. I mean, $300 million divided by 15 schools, that's an additional $20 million a year in revenue. Wow. Just real quick, I don't know if you know it off the top of your head, what's Southern Miss's athletic budget? $24 million? Yeah. This is one payment. For, that's one. That's one piece of the pie. For state Ole Miss and everybody, and else. and really, it's just an addition to the current payment. So you're talking about going from in the neighborhood of 45, 40, 45 million, which is the cut right now that you get when you're not on probation. It's about eight million lighter than that if you're on probation. Just oh, by the way, um, taking that, just call it forty. From 40 to 55? From 45 to 60 to 65? In TV money. Now, in fairness, that's not just TV money. That's TV money and postseason revenue and all that rolled in, but the majority of it's television money. Yeah. And look, the, the gap 
between the haves and the have-nots, it's only getting bigger. It's not changing. And Conference USA just redid its TV deal, and it bumped it a couple of million dollars. Talking about the additional, the 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 renegotiation of one game per week, not even the entire package, just the marquee game and a few basketball games, and you're looking at an additional, an additional minimum, ten million a year per school, but probably way bigger than that. I it's, bet there's a third bidder outside of ESPN and Fox that we're not even aware of. I'm talking like Amazon or somebody a like that. Streaming service, absolutely. That, that that I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody like Amazon just jump in and go, "We'll give you seven hundred fifty million dollars." They got it, but but it wouldn't. I don't think even with what's happening with over the top subscriptions, I don't think the SEC is at a point where it will exclusively go to streaming rights for its biggest platform. I may be wrong on that, but I'm about I four years think... from now too. Four years from now anything could change. You're right. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Rippy will rejoin us in a little while. How about the uh, air conditioning kerfluffle? that is uh, happening back and forth via statements from LSU in Texas. You've heard about this, right? Oh, yeah. LSU head coach Ed Ogeron said yesterday during a scheduled press conference that the locker room was pretty toasty. Quote, I called Louisiana Tech. They told us about it. So we did some things in the dressing room that were better. wasn't great, but it was better. At least we had air in there. They didn't have air. We had some blowers in there. I'm going to stop doing that. It's really good. Don't stop doing that. So on Monday, on the heels of the claim by LSU, Texas Athletics Director Chris Del Conte released a statement denying the accusations. The comment today about the lack of air conditioning in our visiting locker room is the first we've heard of any issues in that area. We provide one of the best visitor setups available and are proud of the efforts we put forth in hosting our guests. Our facility staff did not receive any complaints from either Louisiana Tech or LSU, and we've confirmed that our air conditioning in the visiting locker room is in good working order. Forky, you pose the question, whose side are you on? May, may May I start? Fire away. I don't know what Texas ultimately did, but having been personally in both the visiting locker room in Austin, Texas, and the visiting locker room in Baton Rouge, LSU needs to go find a tall building and jump. (laughs) Now, I, I am not calling Ed Ogeron a liar. If he says there was no air conditioning in the locker room in Austin, maybe there wasn't any air conditioning in Austin in the locker room. 
I do know when Ole Miss was there in what year was it, Borky? 2013, I think. The locker room at Texas was big. It was open. And it was nice. And it had air conditioning. I will tell you that as of 2018, the locker room for the visitors inside Tiger Stadium sucks. It is tight. It is cramped. It is meandering. The bathrooms are disgusting. You cannot move in there. It smells awful, and it's about 70 years old. And they have little, uncomfortable, makeshift wooden lockers that some are stuck against the wall and some are just kind of like out in the middle of the walkway. That's fine. I don't think you owe the visitors anything better than that. Whatever. Make them uncomfortable. That's fine. But don't come to me with, oh, the locker room setup's horrible. They didn't turn on the air conditioning. Well, go look at your own visitor locker room. And then shut up. That, and then you've had a couple of coaches today, one being Skip Holtz of Louisiana Tech, say uh, that he was not the one that talked to anybody in Baton Rouge, and he does not remember it being like a sauna, but he also doesn't remember it being cool either. And Gary Patterson of TCU said his team has never experienced any problems in their road trips to Austin in in regards to... It's because their locker room is nice! The visiting locker room... At DKR is nice. It's Gary big. Patterson's the sweatiest coach in America, so he would know. I mean, right outside the locker room on the opposite end from where the players come into the stadium, there's a great big door where you back an 18-wheeler underneath, like underneath the stadium and unload like right into the locker room. It's nice. The nicest visitor locker room in the Southeastern Conference, and it's not close, is Texas A&M's. It's massive. Like nicer than some people's home locker rooms. But what do we? Where does this come from? Did they the blow a circuit and the why? air condition didn't work? Maybe who knows? But isn't that the question? Why? Why stir this up now? You won the football game. All I know is that if Chris Del Conte. Just out of curiosity, walks into the visitor locker room in Tiger Stadium. Just out of curiosity, when Texas plays at LSU, he's going to walk out. He's going to walk walk in there, look around a little bit, turn around. He's going to walk out, and he's going to go find Ed Ogeron, and he's going to shoot the bird right in the middle of his face. And then he's going to go, Scott, go to Scott Woodward, and he's going to shoot the bird right in the middle of his face, too. So, whatever, guys. Congratulations. You won. Shut up about the locker room. Now, l- let me qualify what I'm saying. You, you guys have heard me say this over and over and over and over. Tiger Stadium is my favorite place that I've ever been to watch a college football game. I love it. But visiting locker room smack after you won? 
What are you doing? I don't get it. I don't get it. Richard and Wiggins says, so how exactly do you feel? Eh, I think I told you. Jeff says the smallest locker room he's ever been in is the visiting clubhouse at Wrigley. I think maybe they renovated, uh, renovated that a little bit, but not so much. Hey, Borky. Yes, sir. Do you know the LSU band performed at, performed at halftime last night at the Superdome? Yeah, I uh, saw that. It was They were in the background of the, the set that they had set up on the field, so that's how I knew that. Yeah, yeah. They were. Was it pretty good? It was. I mean, they didn't really. They didn't do like any LSU stuff. They just played some Louisiana music medley and like got into. They marched around for a little bit and then got into a great big shape of a Florida Lee. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Man, what a game! I still can't get over how awesome that football game was last night. I keep thinking about it. Like just reading the box. I've got the box score up right here. I still just keep looking through it for some reason. It was. It was really cool. Really loud. I can't. I mean, that that's like the enduring thing for me. Is how. So, so you know how the second level overhangs about three quarters of the lower level. Yeah. So we were right, kind of under the edge of the overhang. So you're already in a building where there's nowhere for the noise to go because it's an enclosed building, and then you add to that like another layer of trapping the noise, which is what that overhang does. Definitely. At least you didn't get stuck by or stuck behind that guy with that big whistle on his head that they show during every game. I know people love him and stuff and he's got his own little brand or whatever, but the people that go to sporting events and put something on their head that is large, those are the worst people. Because all you're doing is making it difficult for the person behind you to see. And it's not like the team on the field is going to play any better because you have a painted whistle on your head. Hey, hey, fair or foul? You are standing in line to go to the men's room, which means you're away from the game watching the game. And there's a long line with a bunch of people. And you're just kind of paying attention to what goes around you. And there's an entrance to the bathroom and an exit, and everybody's following the rule. And at the end of the line, you see some guy who's scoping things out. And then when you get into the restroom and you're still waiting in line, you see that he has gone through the exit, has broken line in front of everyone, and has gone to a uh, to an upright urinal. You call him out on it? 100%. Because hey, everybody Dad. around you would get on board with you. You wouldn't be on an island of one. Hey, Dad, would you call him out on it? I don't know. I know Jack Crystal one time called Andre Ware out on breaking line for a restroom at... Uh, at the stadium. <laughs> so somewhere... I've heard that story before. Who do you think you are cutting in line? Do you see there's a line right here? Waiting it like everybody else. That's fair. That's a great Jack Crystal anecdote. It's like, uh, my bad, I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't realize that there was a line. Well, pay attention. <laughs> edited for on the air comment uh, Craig from the rest says absolutely you call him out on him Hal suggests that you use the restroom on him Craig and Nettleton says mama said knock him out <laughs>
Uh, Richard and Wiggins says he would be eligible for being micturated on. I think I know what that means. I learned a new word today. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Uh, Jay says, no harm, no foul on Ed O'Gerron. He says, if it was hot, I would complain. Yeah, maybe the air condition broke. Sure, it's a hot locker room. Whatever. But you won. What difference does it make? You won. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Got a text from somebody on the ceasefire text line said they were on the front row of the loge level, which I guess is the second level in the dome. Said their ears are still ringing today from last night's Monday night game. Um, if you're ever not going to use those seats, I will give you my email and we can connect. Holler at us. Yeah. I was a little surprised. I think I thought that would be a harder ticket last night than it was. But there were there were quite a few tickets that were floating around like outside the stadium. Scalpers. I, I didn't like stop and ask what they were getting for them. And you could get reasonable seats um on StubHub. Or whatever site you go to, vivid seats or whatever. A couple I mean Porky, what did I see? We looked we were riding down Sunday. I mean, I think you can get lower-level end zone seats. For, and I know it's expensive. I get that. But in comparison to, like, an SEC football game, it's not terribly expensive. It's like 175 200 bucks. And I completely, again, I understand that's an expensive football ticket. I completely get that. But you got face value on some SEC game tickets that are $100 now. 90 to 100 Quinn says, don't ever buy tickets from the guys outside the dome. <laughs> Sounds like somebody that's been burned. Or at least knows somebody that has been. So, Borky, are you planning on making a game this year? That's the goal. Uh, little guy comes as of right now on October 24th, but who knows You know how soon or around that date he will come. I would like to go. I've got some buddies that want to go to the Tampa game which I think is on the 6th, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, My fear is that's just too close, and I just don't want to be three hours away in the upper decks of a football stadium when my wife begins labor. And I know the baby just doesn't like walk on out of there right as labor begins, but still, I don't want... (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not exactly how it works. Although sometimes it's fast. Um... Why not shoot for like a early November game? See, we were thinking about actually going to see them on the road in Nashville. And they play right. at the Titans on December 22nd. And he'll be, you know, two months. That that might be kind of difficult, but at least that would be easier than right around, you know, due date and risking that. Well, you're not taking a two-month-old to an NFL football game in December. Right. So we would be able to – we've got family nearby and stuff like that. We'd be able to work it out to where we could go to that game because at two months you can kind of have a babysitter for a few hours. At two weeks, not so much. There you go. So we'll Sounds see. Like you, got it, you got it figured out. I think uh, so. I was, I was just thinking that after a couple of weeks of being home and everything's kind of settled into a routine, you could probably get a hall pass for – a quick down and back trip. 
I'll have to feel that one out. Yeah. <laughs> Only a good plan. <laughs> Not quite sure yet. Probably a, uh, a good plan to wait and see how, uh, how that works. Um, does this mean anything to you? Ranked opponents remaining on regular season schedules for the following teams. Ohio State still has to play five ranked teams. Georgia, LSU, and Notre Dame all still have to play four ranked teams. Alabama's got to play three. Utah has got to play three. And these are obviously all potential playoff contenders. Oklahoma will play one ranked team currently on its remaining schedule. That would be Texas. And Clemson, as things stand currently, will not play a ranked team for the remainder of the regular season. Says a lot about the Big 12. I'm surprised that the Big 10 has that many, to be totally honest. Well, you've got Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. Michigan yeah. State. Iowa, Michigan yeah, State. Right. Yeah. Is this is this just from Rutgers. the AP poll or is this from <laughs> Rutgers? Is this just AP poll or is this any, they're just ranked? Uh, I don't know. And, and Maryland is now in the top 25. Because with Alabama, if it's if it's just the AP poll, it wouldn't have Mississippi State, who's ranked on the coaches' poll. So I don't know. Same with LSU. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think Peter Burns threw that out there uh, earlier today. I mean, the the narrative has been Clemson's got an easy road to the playoff, and the scheduled numbers kind of back it up, don't they? It's not. It's not really a narrative at this point. It's just the truth. Yeah. If Clemson doesn't make the college football playoff, it is because they tripped over their own feet. Right. And there was a massive upset somewhere along the way. Two hours in the books. College football fix is coming your way next. We will look at some of the games that are happening nationally this weekend. Borky, here's what we got to hope for, because on paper, this is not a good slate of games. Normally, when we spend all week talking about the fact that the schedule's not any good, we end up with some great games. So that's what we'll hope for this week. We'll see if that turns out to be the case. College football fix when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Tuesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Dove season opened, what, two weekends ago? And you may have gone on a dove hunt. Maybe you didn't. Brian Scott Rippey even went on a dove hunt. I did. He may be now ready to reach out to Mississippi Land Bank because he's in North Mississippi and wants to buy his own piece of property so that he can host a dove hunt next year. Didn't get to eat Sunday night because they didn't kill my dinner. Well, that's on you, not on us. Dove hunting's easy. You didn't have to like stalk anything. Like they, No they, calling. Right. I was wearing a blue shirt and hat. Yeah. So easy, right? Yeah. How many did you shoot? Zero. Yeah. Uh, how easy is it? How I'm, many times did you shoot? Probably between, what, 25s in a box, 20 times. Oh, for 20. Yikes. <laughs> Borky coming with a haymaker. Anyway, the point is, if recreational property is on your mind, Mississippi Land Bank can help you with that purchase. They've been financing and refinancing land for over... 
100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. The leather and liner special going on right now. Buy a 2019 F-150 XLT and get a complimentary leather and liner bed liner upgrade on the truck. That's a uh, pretty significant savings, extra couple of thousand dollars there. And uh, it's complimentary for you uh, while supplies last. So the games that are coming this weekend involving SEC teams and some notable national games as well. Georgia is a 34-point favorite at home against Arkansas State. Tennessee is a 28-point favorite uh, favorite at home against Chattanooga. Haven't they already been a 28-point favorite once this year? It'll it was even higher with Georgia State, I believe. I mean, Tennessee's going to beat Chattanooga, right? It, it was 24-ish, I remember, for whatever reason when we picked that on the show. Bigger favorite against Chattanooga. The Alabama, Terrell Owens. Alabama is almost as big a favorite at South Carolina as Tennessee is at home against Chattanooga. 26 on the road for Alabama in Columbia. Well, thank God we're preserving the third Saturday in October. <laughs> Arkansas is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Colorado State. Ole Miss a 31-point favorite against southeastern Louisiana. By the way, I intentionally skipped over the Mississippi State game. We'll come back to that. Auburn a 33-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Kent State. Texas A&M, a 43-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Lamar. LSU, a 51-point favorite against Northwestern State. And Missouri, a 34-point favorite over Southeastern Missouri. Isn't that Ed's alma mater? Yes. You think he'll take it easy? No. Probably not. I can't figure out why attendance is down. I I just don't get it. There are only three games... Involving SEC teams this weekend that are in the single digits in terms of favorites. Mississippi State at home is a seven and a half point favorite over Kansas State. We talked about Arkansas being a nine and a half point favorite over Colorado State. That was originally ten and it has come down. And Florida on the road at Kentucky is a seven and a half point favorite over the Wildcats. Can that many big spreads be covered? You would think not, right? No, a couple of these won't hit, no. So if you were going through looking to pick, not upsets, but you were willing to take the points and lay the big numbers, who would you feel most comfortable laying the points with? LSU. LSU is a good one. I'm sorry, not laying the points, but taking the points. Right. Yeah, Tennessee. Why would you not take Tennessee at this point? Why why would we be surprised if they won 27-10? to Wait, are you saying take the underdog or take the favorite? No, I'm oh, yeah, saying take, take the underdog. Take, I got take you. Chattanooga in the points, yeah. Yeah, probably. I don't know. It's still probably. It's LSU or Tennessee, and I don't know which one. 
There's some. I was just looking at the national slate. There's some. It's not a great slate, but there's weirdly interesting games. Ohio State is at Indiana. Iowa State, Iowa. Iowa yeah, State, Iowa. game day this weekend that's for the first time in Ames. That's right. Are we, are we allowed to say what that game is called on this show? Probably not, but I don't guess I know what it's called. Should I look it up? You, you can do that, yeah, because I'm not 100% sure that I can say it on the air. Yeah, um, I've gone down that road before. Stanford, UCF. Stanford going to UCF all the way across the country. Long trip and coming off just getting shellacked in the second half by Southern Cal. Yeah, that game was a lot more interesting when it was 17-3 Stanford. Arizona State, Michigan State. Are you anti-Southern Cal? No, I'm saying that the the, uh, the Stanford-UCF game was more interesting when Stanford was you know still going to oh, be ranked. I got you. I got you. Costello is back this week. I saw earlier today. Florida at Kentucky is kind of interesting, right? Because if Florida pees their pants again, they well, Kentucky don't have a quarterback, do they? Kentucky's quarterback is now the graduate transfer from Troy last year. Kentucky doesn't have a quarterback, do they? <laughs> pretty yes. good. Yeah. But their starter, like their starter yes, Terry no Wilson shot. is out for the year. I didn't see the injury, so I didn't. Yes. Know. Okay. Horse collar tackle. Ugly. Nasty, nasty. Yeah, it was ugly. Is Florida State-Virginia interesting? The the same way a train wreck is, yeah. sure. What's the line in that one? It's about a touchdown, isn't it? Don't. Be hard-pressed not to smash Virginia in that one. I I think they're like a 7-10 to point favorite. 7.5. Yeah. That seems shockingly low. Clemson is a 28-point favorite at Syracuse. Syracuse is coming off of a terrible loss to Maryland last week. We and talked they about were this game. Just, say what? We talked about this game a few weeks ago. Is like, this could be the one game that Clemson has trouble in. And no, we've got Syracuse, who's actually not good, evidently. But in consecutive years, Clemson has had their quarterback knocked out in their game against Syracuse, and they've gone one and one against them in the last two years. And it's such a week-to-week deal now. Don't you think back home they'd be – I'm not saying Syracuse is actually any good. I have no idea. I didn't watch any of the Maryland game. But like, you would think they would play better than they did a week ago. You would think. They did give up 63 points, though. Is – I guess Oklahoma-UCLA is not very interesting. I don't think so. Did you see what UCLA is, is doing? They're doing like the old the, joke. Do what? They're doing like the old joke, you know, the joke that, hey, I, I had two tickets to this terrible game. I just left them on my windshield, and when I came back, there were four more. That's basically true. So who did UCLA play last week? They played San Diego State. San Diego State. And the crowd was so small, and they've got some sort of a ticket scanning system that anyone... And they lost. They lost. Who was Don't a forget. season ticket holder that attended the game against San Diego State... On Friday of this week, in their online ticket account with UCLA, they will have four additional tickets that they can use, transfer, give away, print, sell, whatever they want to do. So the season ticket holders that actually went to the UCLA game against San Diego State, every single one of them is receiving four additional free tickets for their game against Oklahoma. Seven pretty lucky dudes there. <laughs> yeah. Pitt, Penn State? Isn't, isn't Pitt terrible? 
Yeah, Pitt's not yeah but they've got great right. uniforms. So do the last two teams we talked about. UCLA and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. I'm trying to find something to get excited that's, about. That's interesting, Rippy, that you said that because today on, on my podcast, one of my mailback questions was, what's your favorite college uniform, not Mississippi State, which it isn't anyway, but UCLA was my answer. I like UCLA. I like Oklahoma's too. UCLA got weird and tried to add black and all that junk to its helmet, yeah. some, and they just ruined a good thing. Pittsburgh's gone back, though, to the, the royal blue and yellow. Yeah, they look great. They are fantastic. This Days year. Hugh Green and Tony Dorsett. Pretty rough lineup this weekend. Bill Bender will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line when we come back. The question, one of the questions will be, is this one of those weeks where the schedule looks horrible and we look up late Saturday night and go, wow, there were a bunch of great games? We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favrates.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Let's chat with our friend Bill Bender from the Sporting News on Twitter. He is at BillBender92. Hello, Bill. Hey, Richard. How you doing, man? Good, man. Appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Uh, let's start looking ahead, and then we'll go back, if that's okay with you. The slate of games this weekend is one of those slates that we get every single year, usually a couple of times a year where you look at it and you go, nah, nothing good. What a boring slate of games. And almost inevitably, we get to late Saturday night or early Sunday morning and we go, man, this game was great and this game was great and this game was great. Does this week have that potential? There's no ranked teams playing each other. I can't remember the last time we had that, right? So, like, you know, right off the bat, you're like, man, this weekend's a dog. But to your point, every time I've said that, it all takes one upset. All it takes is one. For the heck of it. All it takes is, you know, South Carolina getting off to a hot start against Alabama. Or, you know, Clemson dropping the ball a few times at the carrier dump. Just takes that one. And, and it seems like it gets contagious. So, yeah, I think uh, that's something to keep in mind into this weekend. But on the surface, the best we can do is Iowa, Iowa State. That's where game day will be this weekend. That's a rivalry game. They play for the Cyhawk Trophy. It'll be a great scene. That's just a game that traditionally has been kind of weird, though, right? Well, they played some close ones, and Iowa's won the last four. Iowa has an Experienced quarterback and Nate Stanley, and you know it's a big game for Iowa State. Matt Campbell, he's going three against Iowa, so you know it's one of those unique in-state rivalries. It's going to get some light on it. I've been to Ames, I don't know if you ever have. Um, it's a fun town. It's a fun college football town, and they'll get the spotlight on it. And I think that's pretty cool. And Iowa State set a record with uh, season tickets sold this year, and got a rivalry game on top of that, so uh, should be a pretty good scene. Um, Looking at the first two weeks kind of as a whole, is there anything that has surprised you so far, anything that you've seen that you really didn't expect in the the first couple of weeks of the season? The LSU looks the part. They don't just look good. They look like they're ready to to maybe alter the course of the SEC race with the way Joe Burrow's playing in that offense and how comfortable he looks and being able to throw it around and get three 100-yard receivers. I mean, they look... They look the part, and that's been a little bit surprising. Jalen Hurts being better than I thought he would be. Uh, that's another one. And then, uh, 
No, if this way, as you know, I'm in Ohio. I think Justin Fields just looks incredibly comfortable in that offense, and Ohio State hasn't skipped a beat. Because you're in Big Ten country and you're in the state of Ohio, I've got to ask you about Michigan. I mean, just so close for Army. If a couple of things go different way, we actually get the upset. Michigan did enough to get the win. Is that okay because Army's such a difficult opponent and it's such a different style? Is Michigan going to be okay in the long run, or do you have serious concerns about Michigan? Well, I can answer this question two ways, actually, because, you know, Army, when you play Army, the test is the option and the offense and trying to defend that. I thought Michigan defended it well. I mean, the the disappointing part, if you're a Michigan fan, is that the offense looked disjointed. I thought the game plan was poor, and um, I mean, I would just come out and say it. I don't think they trust Shea Patterson. I don't think they trust him at quarterback. I didn't think – I thought they did last year, or they were starting to, but in this new system, it just looks like they don't trust Shea. And um, they're going to come out next week, not this week, they get a buy against Wisconsin. Richard, I'm not going to be surprised if they're an underdog for that game. Especially with how good Wisconsin has been. Yeah, and, and I mean, the one thing in their advantage, they get to go play there at noon, and it won't be quite as rowdy, and Wisconsin's one of those places that the later you play them there, the tougher it is. But I think that's a big game for both teams because it'll set the course for the rest of their season. If Wisconsin can win that, you start to think of them as a Big Ten championship, maybe playoff contender. And if Michigan wins, you know, it's just another notch on their belt where they were able to beat Army and they were able to win at Wisconsin, and these are some of their early season tests. But yeah, I just think the offense hasn't looked anywhere near where it's supposed to in their first two games, and that's that comes down to the quarterback taking care of the football. If what you say about Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, Josh Gaddis, whoever, not trusting Shea Patterson is true, how close are we to seeing Dylan McCaffrey in a starter's role? I think he's going to play a little bit more in this next game. And you know what? Maybe, maybe that's a factor that, you know, and that's something that was, I thought was curious at the beginning of the year when he said, you know, McCaffrey's going to play. Maybe that's in Shay's head. Who knows? Um, you know, when you, you hear a coach say there's other guys going to play, it's maybe you're pressing a little bit. But yeah, I think this Wisconsin game's huge for that too. If they lose, you wonder what are they going to do at quarterback? Who are they going to, are they going to turn to Dylan McCaffrey, who is an outstanding athlete, but he just hasn't played? So um, it'll be interesting to see. I think Shea Patterson's got a lot on the line in that game in terms of where Michigan season is going to go. Bill Bender on your radio from the Sporting News. You can follow him on Twitter at BillBender92. Interesting matchup in Starkville this weekend with Mississippi State hosting Kansas State. Bulldogs had no trouble with uh, with K-State in Manhattan last year. Had a lot of success running the football. Kylan Hill went for over 200 yards. New coach at K-State. They looked pretty good, although certainly a step up in class in opponent this year. Or, I'm sorry, this week in, in going to Mississippi State. We don't really know the status of Tommy Stevens. What do you make of, of this game uh, between the Wildcats and the Bulldogs? That's an opportunity for the Bulldogs. You know, I mean, obviously, Chris Kleeman's done a nice job with K-State so far. And they're a no-frills team that's uh, that feels like, I mean, if you're looking for kind of a under-the-radar game, that's one of them this weekend that I'll probably be keeping an eye on just to see because you figure if Mississippi State wins, they'll they'll be okay. Um, 
another one, not to change the subject, but uh, I'm interested in North Carolina Wake because if Matt gets them off to a 3-0 start, that's, I just I thought that was going to happen in terms of him getting them going. I didn't think it was going to happen this fast. And should pay dividends in recruiting, right? You know, if you look back, and I did this story before the season started done, if you look back at Max's first tenure there, and about the last couple of years, I mean, the roster was guys like Greg Lye and Greg Ellis and, you know, Ebony Zarekibon, NFL guys. And um, I think he's going to be able to recruit well there. And now they're not ready for the, the Clemson beast yet, but they're going to see him in a few weeks, and Max going to use that as a lesson. And, you know, this is another lesson to all the young guys out there, you know, Respect your elders, because Herm Edwards is doing a nice job at Arizona State. Mac Brown's doing a nice job at North Carolina. I, I mean, Les got Kansas a win. Didn't go their way this week, but, I mean, got them on one win, and that's more than anything. Bill, Tennessee should win against Chattanooga this week. But after that, it's a stretch of games that they are likely to go 0-4 in with Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M. It's a brutal stretch whether you're good or not. Tennessee appears to be not good. So let's fast forward and let's make Tennessee 1-6 and six after seven games. Is Phil Fulmer coaching that team before the season's <laughs> over? It's, it's possible um, because it, they've got to compete in those games. If they're just going to get skunked by – I mean, yeah, I did the same math as you as soon as I saw it. Yeah, one win this week. They better win this week or – Phil Fulmer might be coaching them for the Florida game. Um, you know, and, and then you get into that month where uh, there's not a win on the October schedule. So you, you've got two choices. You either persevere through it, push in on Jeremy Pruitt a little bit and believe in what he's doing and give him a couple years, or you find a coach. And this goes back to two years ago. I mean, say what you will about Butch Jones, but one game's there. He beat Florida. He didn't beat Alabama, but nobody beat Alabama. So I guess I just go back to that disastrous coaching search, and I'm wondering, and I'm sure you guys have openly done the same thing, how much long-term effect and damage that coaching search had on the program. Would it have worked with Mike Leach at Tennessee? Because that's what the previous AD was about to get done before he got called to the carpet and the coup happened. Yeah, I mean, would have been interesting. It would have been a lot more interesting knowing that, you know, Mike Leach has put Texas Tech on the map. He's put Washington. I mean, Washington State's a good football team. I watched them a little bit last weekend. They, they put up 50. And Tennessee's in. Tennessee has to do a self-check at some point to realize that you're not who you used to be. You know, Peyton Manning's not going to coach you or play quarterback for you. And maybe Mike Leach would have been the right move. And, and I still have my doubts about that just because I don't know how he would handle coaching at a program like Tennessee. But at the same time, Tennessee doesn't – there's not – you've got to get kids from Florida, Georgia, Alabama to win at Tennessee. And nobody's doing that right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. It's been a fascinating start to the year. I uh, appreciate your time and always look forward to these conversations, Bill. Hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate you. That's uh, Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Bill Bender 92 on Twitter. He's a really good follow, and he's a really good writer. And if you're looking for some smart college football t- content, 
Look up some of what Bill Bender's putting out on a uh, weekly and even daily basis. Back. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.